Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Luke chapter 17, uh, we are going through the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, and uh, we've been in the book of Luke for three or four chapters now, and uh, this will be the end of our stay in Luke for a little while. We will journey over to John chapter 11 if you want to read ahead next week. That's where we'll be, John chapter 11. But again, we're following the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And uh, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 17. Jesus is continuing a conversation that happened beginning in Luke uh, 16, verse 1, where he started to talk to his disciples. And then he had a little bit of an interim with the uh, Pharisees. And now he will move back to speaking to his disciples. So if you would stand with me, we're going to look at Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. It says this, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If a brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins again against you seven times in the day, then and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the subject of forgiveness. Lord, it is a subject in one hand that is very near and dear to our hearts when we are on the receiving end of forgiveness. We so desperately need forgiveness from you, Lord. And we rejoice when we have that. And yet oftentimes, God, when it comes to giving forgiveness, it's much more difficult we don't necessarily rejoice as we should. So this morning, would you humble us? Would you help us to see your heart as it relates to forgiveness? And there's no doubt, Lord, very difficult things that have happened to people in this room that we can't possibly imagine. And to see a subject like, hey, you must forgive. It's kind of a hard pill to swallow. But we're asking you, for the faith to do that this morning, Lord. We're asking you to help us to walk by faith and to be able to forgive those around us. And so come teach us as it relates to this subject, Lord. We need you to teach us. You're the expert here. And so come by your spirit and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, everybody knows that the foundation of a structure is the most important thing, right? If you didn't know that, guess what? You just found out. <laughs> the foundation of, 
of any structure is the, actual, is the most important thing um, as it relates to that structure. So the foundation matters. The foundation of Christianity is good works, right? No. Are you guys awake? Is this thing squeaking? Maybe turn it down slightly. It's squealing on me. Yeah. So, so it's not good works, but the, our foundation in Christianity is built upon Jesus Christ. We all know this. We all understand it. And yet somehow we slip away from the foundation sometimes. But the Bible tells us to build our foundation upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And the reason we do that is because Jesus is sturdy. He is sure. Like he is a sure foundation, the Bible says. And when we build our house upon Jesus, it doesn't matter what kind of storm that comes, our house will stand because it's built upon the rock. Jesus will never, ever be shakable. He will never be changeable. He will never be corruptible. He is all of the opposite of those things. And so he is our foundation. How do we gain, found, how do we gain access to that foundation to b- begin to build upon that rock, our house? It's by faith. We come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He is the foundation alone by himself. Faith defined by Hebrews chapter 11, 1. You know the verse, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. It says this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I personally like the way that the New Living Translation says it. It says faith is the confidence that what we hope will actually happen, it gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So in other words, we have full confidence And whatever we're putting our faith in, knowing that it will do exactly what we believe it to do. So our faith becomes the the object of, of, or becomes the, the, the gateway for us to enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he gives us that assurance, that that confidence. We can believe in him this morning for every aspect of our lives because he's the foundation and when it comes to forgiveness, it does, it's the same. We can believe in Jesus as the foundation by faith. His blood, his wounds are the only way that we can be reconciled to God. And so faith is how we access the foundation of Jesus Christ. But it isn't where we stop. Faith is not just the simple one-time belief in Jesus and we're good with faith. We don't have to, we're called to walk by faith continually in our lives. It's a perpetual call to faith. Believing Jesus in every aspect of our lives without having to see the end result. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But here's the important part. That, that's all important. But the life that I now live, because I am in Christ, the life that I now live, I live by faith. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus is saying faith in the foundation is how you get into relationship. But continual faith in the foundation is how you walk out the Christian life. In every aspect of life. He said, Paul said here, now the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That encompasses every aspect, every single detail of life. So your success as a Christian then has everything to do with you walking in faith. Everything to do with that. 
you look to Jesus for everything in your life and you believe upon Jesus and the word of God in every aspect. When it comes to your physical provisions, you place your faith in Jesus. When it comes to your financial provisions, you place your faith in Jesus. When it comes to your emotional provisions or your psychological provisions or whatever provision you need, you, can, you name it, Jesus is the answer to it. It's faith in him as it relates to that thing. But what about forgiveness? What about forgiveness? How do we walk out forgiveness in our lives? Jesus is going to tell us it's by faith. It's by faith because there's so many things going on when it comes to forgiveness. And there is a battle within us that does not want to forgive people. It's fine when we re receive forgiveness, but to give forgiveness is one very difficult thing for a Christian to do if they don't have the right understanding of all that's been all that's done to them because you know Jesus will tell us the reality is you will be offended you will be in life in the Christian life you're not you're not walking into you know a picture perfect you know uh, situation where nothing wrong happens <laughs> you're walking into sinners who are redeemed by grace who still sin and so the reality is we have to practice this thing of forgiveness continually. It never goes away. So we have to, we have to do that, Jesus is going to tell us, by faith. I'm calling this message for faith to forgive. For just as much as we need faith to receive forgiveness, we also need faith to give forgiveness. We need the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things not seen, in order to forgive those who have wronged us. And that's exactly what the Lord wants to share with us this morning. How to forgive God's way. I've divided these verses into, these 10 verses into four points. The first thing that we look at is the opportunities uh, to forgive. The reality of opportunities to forgive. Look at verse 1 there. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one whom they come. It would be better for him... If a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And then we don't stop there, but we continue on in the first part of verse 1 where he says to his disciples, pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to yourselves. Jesus, after just sharing the reality of eternity, that everything that we do in this life translates into eternity, whether it's good or bad. How we exercise our faith on earth translates into eternity. If we believe upon Jesus, that translates into eternity, right? That's the way that we, we get on the right side of eternity. But if we don't, then we're on the wrong side of eternity. But the reality is there is eternity for everyone. And your faith will determine where you go. So we just got done talking about that, the Pharisees having this false um, assurance of their salvation and putting their faith in themselves and their own righteousness and all this stuff. Jesus addresses that and he talks about the, the, the uh, falsehood of riches and how that gives you a false sense of God's blessing on your life and all these different things. And, and he tells the Pharisees, listen, the end of the day, your riches will not save you. And he turns now from the disciples or from the Pharisees back to his disciples. They're there still, by the way. Now, he, he's talking to his disciples. This is a, an all encompassing word not we'll, we'll see here Luke differentiates between the 12 and his disciples in this passage and so the disciples that he's talking to is anybody that's following him at this point it's the 12 plus 
the rest of those that are following him. And so he's, he's giving this big picture um, teaching now on the reality of opportunities to forgive. It, he tells them temptations of, uh, to sin are sure to come. Like that's not even a question. That's an absolute truth. In our culture, we don't believe in absolute truth, but this is an absolute truth that when you walk into the church or outside the church, you can be sure that temptations are sure to come. Now that word temptation, it, it, it literally means it's, it's scandalon in the Greek. It's where we get the word scandal or scandalous. The idea is it's a trap. Okay, it, 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 think of a mousetrap. And you think how you, you know, on, on that mousetrap, there's a little bait pad, right? You set the bait pad, you set the little trigger on it, and that little trigger, the hinge thing, you set it, and it's linked to that little bait trap. And so when the mouse comes over and he thinks you've been nice and left him out some food, little does he know, as soon as he takes the weight off that thing, it triggers the trap and he dies, right? That's sin. That's, that's the, the temptation, the scandal on is that little hinge part that, that, that holds the, the big hinge back. I'm, you know, it, it's, it's the thing, that's what he's talking about, that hinge. He says that exists in everywhere you go. It's everywhere. It's going to come in your life. You have to know this. There is a trigger. And, and that trigger is, it's not sin. The trigger's not the sin. The sin is, well, you know, engaging in the trigger and continuing on, just like James talks about you know, it's not sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted, right? He was tempted and he sinned not. So temptation is not the sin. The sin is giving into the temptation. That, you know, the reality is we're going to be faced with all kinds of scandalons, traps, different things because we live in, number one, an imperfect world. Number two, we live, we're fighting a spiritual battle. So we got, we got three things against us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so those things are all coming against us, trying to trap us. Jesus says you can be sure of that. Now we can expect that to happen as it relates to unbelievers, right? I mean, unbelievers, we don't expect unbelievers to act like believers, although for some reason some Christians do. They have this perception that, you know, they're, they're caught off guard when unbelievers act like unbelievers. I don't understand that. Unbelievers are unbelievers, and so we treat them as unbelievers. They, you know, they're the ones that Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You were there. I was there once, right? And so unbelievers, we can expect them to act like unbelievers. But what about believers? What about believers? You know, we can expect those outside the church to set traps, to uh, be the temptation that is sure to come to us. But what about believers? I believe Jesus is telling his own disciples that they need to pay attention to themselves as it relates to this because they themselves can become the scandal on. They themselves can become the scandal on. And, and we see this happen in so many different ways. You know, as I said before, we are just sinners saved by grace in this room. And so we continue to sin, all of us. You know, we, we don't teach in a sinless perfection. We don't believe that, you know, that, that is possible on this earth while we are embodied in this flesh. Like we're in the Romans 7 thing, you know, like, Lord, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I'm not doing, I, I am doing. Lord, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And, G, and he gets to Romans chapter 8, 1, which is the most glorious truth in all of the Bible. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? And so we've been forgiven 
Christ has paid the price for us, but at the end of the day, we still have this sin, uh, this, these, these tendencies to sin. There's this flesh in us that if we walk in it, if we feed it, we will sin. We, that's why Paul said, walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, because if you walk in the spirit, you will produce the, the, you'll, you'll have the fruits of the spirit, but if you walk in the flesh, you will, you will yield the fruits of the flesh. So he tells us we have to be, we have to be careful about that. And, and that's why, you know, stuff happens in the church where pastors, you know, have affairs with people in the church or worship leaders have affairs with people and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's heartbreaking to watch that because it's not just them they're affecting, right? I mean, it's everybody. Everybody in the congregation is affected by that. I don't know how many people don't go to church today because they were involved in a church where a scandal happened and they, it, just, it just put a bad taste in their mouth and they walked away from the Lord. And then they went on sinning. See how that works? You sin and that creates temptation in them to sin. That's why it is so crucial for Christians to watch out with their Christian liberties. As it relates to drinking alcohol and stuff like that. You know, if you, if you do that, nothing wrong. I mean, the Bible says that's, that's okay. Don't get drunk. That's the sin. But if you have alcohol or whatever, you have a beer or something, that, that's fine. But here's the thing is, if you're doing it with other people, you better make sure that they're okay and that they're stable to do that because guess what? You don't want to cause your brother to stumble. You know, and, and the Bible talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul is talking to a church that is causing... You know, I mean, this church is a disaster, much like I would say similar to our church today, that there is just scandal after scandal after scandal. And the reality is that Paul says, look, pay attention to yourselves. Don't be tripping other people up. You may, you know, you may have strength on your own. You might be a mature Christian. You can handle certain things. But listen, if you're hanging out with people and they're not mature, you're potentially dangling the carrot of temptation before them. So be careful. Be careful about how you live. Jesus is telling us that it is inevitable that these things are going to happen within the body of Christ. He's talking to his disciples. Now, no doubt the Pharisees are listening. And he's talking to them too because they are contributing to, you know, they will sway people and pull people out of the church. They, the Bible calls them Judaizers. They will go in, they'll say, oh, no, you need to do this and that, and it becomes legalistic living, and, and be, it's not Jesus, but it's Jesus plus, you know, which, which that in and of itself is not Jesus at all. You can't, it's not Jesus plus something equals salvation because that's not 100% trust in Jesus, and Jesus will only accept 100% trust in him, right? So that's salvation. But the reality is, as we continue to live amongst each other, there's going to be this potential, this, uh, you know, to, to be a, a, a temptation or, you know, to lay a trap on accident. I can tell you one time I was um, with some guys at a men's breakfast one time. And, you know, pretty safe place to be, right, as a Christian? Men's breakfast. <laughs> You're having breakfast with brothers in Christ. And I was a fairly new believer. And, you know, I, uh, I didn't know much about much. I just, I was just excited and happy that Jesus saved me, you know, and, and so I go to this men's breakfast, and, you know, I got these, these, um, can I say old codgers? I don't know if that's right or not, but um, these guys that <laughs> are not happy that they're in relationship with Jesus, I'll just put it that way, 
but they see me. And I'm just beaming. It's like 7 in the morning. Who does that? You know, somebody who's in love with Jesus does that. And I go into this men's breakfast, and we're having a conversations, and I'm just like, man, I'm just so blown away by what God's doing. And, and halfway through the conversation, one of the guys looks up to me, and he goes, are you always this chipper? <laughs> what do you mean? Am I, you know, immediately I was like, did I do something wrong? Like, am I wrong here? And I begin to doubt myself. And I begin to wonder, well, maybe I'm not supposed to be, you know. And I thought, here, here a new believer is. And this guy who's been walking supposedly with the Lord um, says, you know, hey, are you this chipper? You know, it's really not that exciting. Could you, you know, you, you'll grow. You ever had a Christian tell you that before? Oh, you'll go grow beyond that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the excitement will wear off. Trust me. Yeah. And you're like, really? Are you serious? Be careful. Be careful with your doctrine and what you're teaching. I remember early on when I got saved, some guy grabbed me and he's like, are you a Calvinist? And I'm, I'm just like, man, I'm just, I'm just, again, just in love with Jesus. I don't know anything about this stuff. Well, you have to be a Calvinist. You can't, I mean, and, and I'm starting to think like, man, this, you know, what is all this? This is craziness. Who is this guy? I have to be like him? I have, you know, I thought it was come as you are. Be careful about how you relate relationship with Jesus to other people because guess what? If you stumble them, it's on you. It's on you. And what did Jesus go on to say? Woe. Woe to the one through whom it comes. Now, to the believer, I believe this is speaking about severe discipline to the believer. God still disciplines believers. He's still the same God. He's, he doesn't change. He's, he's still holy and he still expects us to be holy. And, you know, Jesus paid for our sin and all that kind of stuff. And we are forgiven as it relates to salvation. But when it comes to our sanctification in Christ. And, you know, we have to be careful because the Lord will discipline us and he'll, he'll, put, he'll give us what I call spiritual spankings. You know, he will. And so I believe what he's talking about is woe to the Christian who does this because the Lord will bring discipline in their lives because that's what a father does. He disciplines his children. He's a good dad. And good dads discipline their children. Now, as it relates to unbelievers... It's a whole different thing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a severe condemnation is what he's talking about here. And he goes on to say, you know, he doesn't de define the woe to us. He just says it's woe. Like, that's not a term of endearment. Like, you don't want Jesus to ever say woe to you, you know. But, but for the unbeliever, you definitely don't want to hear that word. Because woe means severe condemnation. He said, in fact, it would just be better for you to tie a thousand pound stone around your neck and go drop yourself off in the middle of the ocean and sink a thousand feet down and die. It'd be better for you to do that than for you to face God if you cause one of these little ones to, to sin. Now, the, the hearers of, of this would, set, would, 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 you know, their Jews would, would be completely and totally fearful at that idea that Jesus just stated because the Jews were incredibly fearful of the ocean. There was a fear there. Yes, they fished on the Sea of Galilee and stuff like that, but, but they were incredibly fearful of the ocean itself. And, they, and Jesus is painting a fearful picture here. And, and it's right to be that way. You know? and, and so they, they would get that. But, but Jesus is he, he's telling us that there is severe punishment 
for those who cause these little ones. Well, who's that? Well, I believe it's two things. I mean, in the Greek, it, it means two things, and I think it's meant to mean two things. As Jesus uses it, it means physically little people, kids, children, and it also means uh, spiritual um, children in the faith that are babes. Beware that, that if you cause any one of those little ones to, to, to sin. Now, as it relates to the physical children, that's an indictment on, I would say, the parents. That we beware of our parenting in, in, our, in, our, how, in our homes, the way that we live our lives. I don't know how many children have grown up in Christian homes that leave the home and they're just like, I don't want anything to do with God because of what I saw happen inside the four walls of my house. Like there, it was a, you know, a church, it was one way, but when we got home, it was totally different. And so, you know, the Lord is in it putting an indictment on parents to say, hey, be the same. Like you're never perfect, right? So A, number one, don't act perfect. Don't walk into public square and, and be like, oh, we're a picture-perfect family. You're not. We know that. Everybody knows that. But number two is beware of your, um, how you parent your children and how you interact with your family at home. J.C. Ryle said this, the inconsistencies of professing Christians too often supply the men of the world with an excuse for neglecting religion altogether. An inconsistent believer, whether he knows it, it or not, is daily doing harm to souls. His life is a positive injury to the gospel of Christ. Beware of those whom you, you know, live with. Because your testimony doesn't stop when you walk in your front door. It continues on, and everybody in that house sees it. And so that means when you blow it, you make it right. When you do something wrong in front of your kids, you say, hey, that is not the way that God would have that situation to be handled. Will you forgive me? You take ownership of your sin, and you deal with it before your family. Because... As, as a, the, the father, as the head of the house, I'm responsible for the spiritual condition of that house. And if I don't do my job, I'll answer to the Lord. And as we've already seen, it's not fun to answer to the Lord when you're um, you know, not doing what you're supposed to do. And so beware parents, but also beware Christians as, you, as you, how you treat these little ones in the faith. As I mentioned before, I gave you some examples. Jesus is telling us the reality is that opportunities to forgive are going to come because we're all sinners. It's not a question of if it will happen. It will happen. The question is what will you do when it does? That's, as we move on here, Jesus goes on and he, look at verse 3. He says the responsibility of believers is to forgive. Look at verse 3, the second part. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You must forgive him. This is sadly one of the most disobeyed scriptures in all of the Bible. This scripture right here, how we deal with sin inside the church when a brother sins against us, is one of the most disobeyed scriptures in all of the Bible. When your brother sins against you, 
What does Jesus say? Go and tell him. Go and tell him, hey man, you sinned against me. And, you know, your example wasn't right. And you know what? You need to know that. And, 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 and Jesus isn't saying, hey, be a sin sniffer and go around and find sin so that you can address people in their sin. Because, you know, honestly, you won't have to look too hard and it will be a full-time job for you. So go for it if you want to. But, you know, that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, is when someone sins directly against you, and it's happened, every one of us in this room, it's happened this week. What do we do with that? How, I would say most of the, the, the first inclination is for us to just go, oh, well, I'm not going to do anything with that. And the reason why we don't do that anything with that is because we don't like the way it feels. We don't like confronting somebody when they do something wrong. And so this whole thing of considering your brother's interests more than your own and, and loving people more than you love yourself kind of goes out the window and you say, hey, you know what, I'm not going to address this situation because I don't like it the way it makes me feel. Does anybody like to be in confrontation here? Anybody love that? Oh, you, you love it. You're like, yeah, I do, man, that's awesome. No, 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 I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. It's, yeah, exactly. We all, we, you know, no one, listen, if you do desire that, there's something wrong with you, right? That the spirit of God is not, the spirit of God's not working right in you. Like he's saying, don't do that, right? But, but the reality is we don't do it because we don't like the way it feels. But who's the focus on? It's an internal focus. It's all about me. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I don't want to have to have confrontation with them because of the way that they'll look at me. It's all self-focused. Jesus says, get beyond yourself, would you? Like seriously, address sin in people. Even in the 21st century, that still applies. Like he was like 20, 20th century, yes, but 21st, no. We don't do that anymore because the world will think we're judging people. You know, somehow that's made its way into the church, which is a complete erroneous teaching in the first place. People, uh, unbelievers like to go in the Bible and pick things out of the Bible to use against us and not even put it in context. So make sure you understand what Matthew 7 one's talking about because people will use that against you and you can explain to them that's not what Jesus was saying is that we don't address sin because we do address sin. The reality is, is that in the, especially when it comes to brothers and sisters, it, it, it's incredibly unloving to not address a sin in your brother's life or your sister's life. It's incredibly unloving. Oh, to be like you, Jesus. If you were in Jesus' circle and you did something against him, he wouldn't just have gone, oh, well, that's okay. They didn't mean it. Because of the way it made him feel. He would have addressed it because he cares about that person. And let me just say that you have free reign to rebuke me anytime. If I ever sin against you, I'm telling you I want to know. And I, I may have, and I probably will. At one, not intentionally. But if I do, I want to know. And maybe it's, you know, as we have these conversations, maybe it was a perception thing. I don't know, but... The reality is, is I think that I speak for probably all of us in this room that are a genuine relationship with Christ that I want to know if I'm doing something wrong. Like, I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. I want to cause my brother to sin. So come tell me about it. Don't act like it didn't happen. Oh, you know, don't, 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 don't 
you know, limit your relationship with me because I, I sinned against you. Come tell me about it. Let's reconcile. Isn't this what Christianity is about? Reconciliation? Like, yeah. So be like Jesus. Jesus wasn't afraid to confront the sin in our life because he loves us. Don't be afraid to do that. Jesus says, rebuke your brother. Rebuke him. Hey, man, what you did was wrong. And you know what? I don't, how do you respond to that? What is your response for that? Let them think about that for a second. I know when I get in these situations, I want to feed people words because I just want to get through it. But you know what? Hey, man, here's what happened. You sinned against me, but I know you're really sorry, and I know you're already repentant, so we'll just leave it at that. We'll, I walk away. No. No, like, really get to the root of the problem. Like, deal with the heart issue. Because it's not just them they're doing. It's not just you they're doing it to, probably. It's others. And remember, we're ambassadors of Christ. We carry the gospel wherever we go, and as J.C. Ryle said, we don't want to be offense to the gospel. We go into the world. Of course we're not perfect. The gospel is for imperfect people. You know, but, but as we represent Christ in the world and we blow it at our workplace in front of non-believers, we, we make it right. Hey, man, will you forgive me for that? I shouldn't have reacted in that way. I was just upset, and that's not right. And you know what? I'm, just, I'm asking you to forgive me. The humility in that picture, I've done it. Uh, trust me, I know. People respond to that. It's unbelievable. Because they know you're not perfect, even though you're a Christian. And even though they have that expectation of you, when you humble yourself and you become a human being to them, then they get Jesus. Right? Jesus is telling us that if a brother sins against us, we rebuke him and then... Here's the difficult part. If he repents, we forgive him. Now, I got to be honest with you. This is, a, this is kind of one of those scriptures that you're like, man, I don't know. I mean, there's an if there. That's conditional. If he repents, then we forgive him. So we develop these rules on forgiveness that say, well, I'm only going to forgive you if you repent. And if you don't, that gives me a license to hold a grudge against you and not love you. Wrong. That is not right. The idea of repentance is restoration, reconciliation, right? It's about relationship. And as a Christian, we have two different types of repentance. We have repentance unto salvation, which is our reconciliation to God. That's a one-time event. We're justified before God when we repent of our sin and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Right? But then there's a relational repentance that happens on a continual basis that as we sin against the Lord, we're forgiven already. Christ has paid it all, but we are, in, we are restoring our fellowship with God when we repent. And so the idea here is that we, you know, we're restoring fellowship with one another when there's repentance but if there's not repentance, what do we do? Jesus says you love them. That's what he said in Matthew 6. He told us to love them. Love your enemies. 
right? I mean, if they're not repentant and they don't want to have anything to do with you, then you treat them like an unbeliever. That's what the Bible says. How do you treat an unbeliever? You wronged me and I'll never hang out with you again. You know, I'm, you know, holding a grudge against you and all that kind of stuff. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. You, you know, and I would say, uh, uh, I would say that a person can forgive someone in terms of, in the idea of not holding grudges, you know, without, the, without repentance. Like, it's a personal health issue. Like, if I'm holding on to this wrong that's been done to me, where is that taught in the Bible? Nowhere. You won't find a scripture in the Bible that says, if they don't repent, then go ahead and hold on to it and make them pay the full price. You know, the idea is that, you know, we're, we're supposed to grant forgiveness. That's really, at the end of the day, what Jesus is teaching here. But the, the reconciliation part of the relationship can only happen if there's repentance. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, we have to live in a continual forgiveness uh, for our own health, for our own spiritual health. And because to, to not love people is sin. If you don't love, then you're not of the Lord. You know, so, you know, Jesus is telling us here, hey, if a person repents, then you have to forgive. They come to you and say, hey, man, I, I need to confess I did something wrong. You're, you're required to. It's emphatic. You must do it. Now, there are circumstances where that becomes incredibly difficult. Where you have an abusive husband or you have an abusive spouse or you, you know, maybe you've been raped or maybe something tragic has happened and you're and as a Christian you're dealing with this this thing of forgiveness and you say lord how do i do that how do i how do i move into this state of forgiveness even if there is real repentance there which by the way do, did you see anywhere in there where jesus said make sure they're repentant did you see anywhere where he said uh, make sure you pull out the uh, you know take it to the lab and make sure that their repentance is valid like it's real no, none of that. It's not our job to, to judge their repentance. You know, because I hear people say things like this, like, well, you know, if you're really sorry, you won't do it again. Is that what Jesus said in the passage? He said if someone repents to you and continues to do it seven times in a day, you forgive them. So the whole idea of us gauging people's repentance based on their actions is not for us to do. We leave the Lord to do that. We let him deal with the heart of man. You know, it's by faith that we, that we grant forgiveness. When someone comes to me and says, hey, man, I'm sorry, I'm not going to say, well, here's the five things I'm gonna, uh, I need to see from you to, to make sure that you're sorry. No. By faith in him, I'm going to believe that what you're saying is true, and I'm going to forgive you and walk away. And I'm going to leave it at that, by faith in him. And, you, and that's how you do it. And when it comes to these really difficult situations, you know, stuff like that where you have an abusive situation or you have something that's happened that's, by the way, against the law, um, you know, we, even if they come to you in repentance, there is that you, we grant them that forgiveness, but that doesn't mean we leave it. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't deal with it from a legal standpoint either. And I think that there's a question of how do we, every circumstance is different, so please, if, if, don't take, you know, don't take, you know, counsel 
you know, if you have something like that in your life, come talk to me about it. I'd love to sit down with you. But the reality is, is that, you know, God put us under a government and under some laws, and we're called to be submissive to that too. And so there's more to play here than just, because um, at the end of the day, if, if somebody did something, offended you in some way, say they, you know, whatever, they, they uh, raped your wife or something, and then they come to you and they go, hey, man, will you forgive me? I'm repentant. You know, that doesn't mean we don't move on with the process of legal because, you know, we wouldn't need a legal system if that were the case. There still are consequences to our sin even today as believers. And so what I'm saying is, is it doesn't alleviate the consequence of the sin. It does a roundabout way to get there, but anyway, we're here. Get on the bus. So, you know, that's what Jesus is telling us. That, that, that yes, we have to forgive them. But when it comes to these gray things... How do we move forward? We, we, we go to the Lord and we ask the Lord, how do we deal with that? You know, there's been a, there's, if someone comes to me and tells me something that's illegal, I'm required by law to deal with that, regardless if they're forgiven or not. And so I will do that because that's my responsibility. And maybe that's the way the Lord is going to deal with that person in their life to help them, you know, grow from there or whatever. I don't know. But all I'm seeing is, is these, there is no cut and dry. Um, you know, there are some very difficult circumstances that come to play here. But regardless, Jesus says if the person repents, then you must grant them forgiveness, no matter how hard it is. And that's where faith comes in. Because we can't do it on our own. We can't, we can't forgive somebody that's wronged us on our own. We need the Lord to help us with that. And Jesus says, if it happens to you over and over and over again, you've got to keep coming by faith to grant that forgiveness. He goes on here, and, and look at, that's what the apostles respond to in verse 5. The apostles now, speaking of the 12, they look at that situation, they go, Lord, give us some faith. Increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus is saying, the apostles are asking for faith, and Jesus is saying this. You, if you have little faith, you have enough faith. Even little faith can do great things. If you have the little faith of a mustard seed, you can accomplish great things. The thing that he was talking about here, the, 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 um, the, 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 the illustration that he uses, a mulberry tree to be uprooted, is impossible. It's impossible. The roots of a mulberry tree are so deep that when you cut the tree down, they live for hundreds of years. To uproot a mulberry tree, Jesus is painting the picture that is absolutely impossible to do. He's painting a picture about forgiveness as it relates to you and I. And without faith in him, it's impossible to really do it. It's impossible, but you can do the impossible if you place even a little faith. It's not about the volume of faith that you have. And oftentimes I find myself crying out to the Lord, Lord, fill me more with faith, increase my faith. And the Lord says, Tim, you got enough faith, you're just not using it. You know, you can only fill a glass so full and then it's full. I can't get more volume into the glass, but I can activate the faith that I have. 
And the Bible says that God gives us the measure of faith that we need. Every circumstance, every situation you find yourself in, you have the faith. You choose to either walk in it or you choose not to. Jesus said, man, it's a, it's a simple thing. If you just have a little faith, I can, do, I can do all of this. Imagine if you had great faith. Imagine what you could accomplish if you had great faith. Spurgeon said, little faith can accomplish great things, but great faith can accomplish even greater things. What matters most is what our faith is in, the object of our faith. The eye cannot see itself. Did you ever see your own eye? In a mirror, you may have done so, but that was only a reflection of it. And you may, in like manner, see the evidence of your faith, but you cannot look at the faith itself. Faith looks away to itself, to the object of faith, even to Christ. It's not so much about how much you have. It's where you're putting it into. If your faith is in Jesus, then you're putting it in the right place. And you have what you need. That's why we never put our faith in anything or anybody else but Jesus. Because if you do, you will be led astray. You don't put your faith in a church. You don't put your faith in people in the church. You don't put your faith in anything external of Jesus Christ and himself and his word. That's what you put your faith into. Jesus goes on next. He says, he paints the picture of the realization of our duty. We must forgive. And then he goes on and he, he gives us a little parable here that says, here's the, here's the thing. Is if you do forgive, don't, don't think that I owe you something. Because it's your duty. And he goes on in verses 7 through 10. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline with, at the table? You know, will he not rather... Say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink. Does, does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, you are un, uh, say we are unworthy servants. Recognize who you are. We have only done what was our duty. When you and I obey the mandate to forgive here, we need to understand that that is our duty. God owes us nothing for doing that. He owes us nothing. Just as much as this master would know his servant anything for, uh, you know, working in the field all day long, we, the Lord owes us nothing for doing what he commands us to do. That is our privilege. That is our honor. We are positionally servant to him. And so that is how we, we approach that. It is our duty to serve him. Now, what Jesus isn't saying here is that your service to him is meaningless. Don't misunderstand that. Don't misunderstand that, that, you know, when you get to heaven one day, he'll reward you for your service. But understand, he owes you nothing. And so we can develop this, this mentality of, look, look how much I've done for you, Lord. Man, God, you're really lucky that I'm on your team, you know, kind of thing. And, and the Lord says, no, you're just doing what you're told to do. And when you... And, and by the way, you're not even doing it in your own power. If anything great comes out of, what, out of your life, it's uh, in spite of you. It's because the Lord empowered you and, and he, you know, he allowed you in the circumstances to do what you're doing. So don't become self-righteous and spiritually prideful when you're able to do that. You know, don't be uh, like Peter was 
you know, when, when, G, when he said, how many times should I forgive, Lord? Seven times? Whoa, Peter, seven? Man, you know, it would be considered perfect. and A, a man would be considered perfect in the Judeus, Jewish culture if he would forgive three times. So Peter said, oh, man, I'll do it seven. And the Lord, the Lord says, well, let me trump you again, Pete. Uh, the reality is, is let's just say 70 times seven would be the appropriate number but we're not putting numbers on it. It's really infinity, you know? Don't become spiritually prideful like, man, I'm just so forgiving. Look at me. You know, the Lord is so lucky to have me. But you know what? Be thankful that he can use you and that he has, that you do have the ability to do what he's asking you to do. Recognize the fact that we're all unworthy servants, man, before him, that, that, we, are, that we are lucky that we are on his team. And that it's even, even, it's a miracle that God can use us. It's a miracle that God can use you. And so recognize that. And when something good happens, give him all the glory and the honor. It takes faith to forgive, Christian. It takes faith in the Lord. And he is more than enough for us in every situation. And so it doesn't matter what, where you sit today with, with whatever, you know, thing you're holding on to that you're unable to really grant forgiveness for? Or the Lord would tell you today that you have the faith to do it, but you have to walk in that faith. And so if a brother has sinned against you, you need to go and deal with that. You need to go make it right. Let's be a church body that actually does that. Let's not be like, like, like you know, the majority of people that that di disregard the scripture and act like it doesn't exist. And then they just let their brothers and sisters, they just break fellowship with them or they let them leave the church and, you know, they don't touch base with them. Like, hey, what happened? Well, you offended me. Well, hey, let's talk about it. What did I do? Because I want to know. And if you just remain humble like that, man, the Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. And so when you approach somebody in their stuff and you don't come all antagonistic, and looking for, to condemn them, but you're loving on them, and you're just saying, hey, we need to deal with this, it'll be a lot easier on you. But the reality is Jesus said we need to do that. Let us be a church that does that. And listen, if there's things in your life this morning that the Lord is putting on your heart, if there's people that he's putting on your heart this morning that you know you're holding forgiveness from, you know, and you're saying, and you're giving yourself the, you know, well, you know, they haven't repented, or at least I don't think they have, and, you know, I don't consider their word as repentance, then the Lord would say to you this morning, hey, you know what? Don't hold on to that. Let it go. Give it to me by faith, and let me deal with that, but just walk in that faith today. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your word, and for the forgiveness that we've been given, Lord, and, uh, we're just humble, Lord, that you love us the way you do. We're thankful for your forgiveness, God. We're thankful that you never held back on us. You never once said, man, I'm not sure if you're really repentant. But God, you forgave us right where we were when we came to you by faith. And so we're coming to you again today by faith, Lord, and we're asking that you help us to forgive There are things in, in hearts here right now, Lord, that you're, you know are, are difficult to surrender, but you're asking them to. 
And so would you just help them to walk in the faith that, that they have this morning to do that? And Lord, as we are preparing for communion, that our hearts would be prepared and that we would be free and just be clean before you and that we would do it in a worthy manner as your word tells us. And so just continue to move by your spirit in this place today, Lord. And we want to just ask, Lord, if there's anyone here that has never received your forgiveness, that has never invited you into their life as Lord and Savior, it's never walked by faith in that way, that you give them the ability to even now, Lord, that you help them to cry out to Jesus, to cry out to you, Lord, and just to confess their sin before you. Lord, I'm a sinner. I've sinned greatly against you. And I believe Jesus came to pay for my sin. And I'm turning away. I'm repenting. I don't want to live that life anymore, God. I want to be clean before you. I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior. His death and His resurrection as my atonement for sin. And I ask you to make me a Christian today. We know it's not really so much about the words, Lord, as it is about the heart and the sincerity. And so if there's anyone here this morning that they just do that as we move into this time of communion. And we just thank you for this forgiveness that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.